Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. I'd like to introduce to the Backseat Driver Radio Show, Matthew Pote, Chief Chocolate Engineer at Racing Chocks. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> a man who has transferred from being a motor racing electrical engineer involved heavily with Formula One into still producing motor racing products. It just so happens you can eat these. Yes, you can. Matthew, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Well, thank you very much for having me. How did a motor racing electrical engineer who produced the battery pack that allowed Alonso to win his F1 World Championship in a Renault, how did he become a chocolatier? We'll, we'll use the French term, chocolatier. Chocolatier is a good term to use. I mean, it's it, it was a long journey from that point when I was working at a battery company. Um, I worked for a number of different electronic manufacturers since then, doing data loggers, sensors, and, and onboard video systems. Um, but really the crunch time came when um, I messed about with some little eight scale models of um, various drivers racing helmets that you can buy um, from various places and created some ice cubes, um, racing helmet ice cubes. I conclude you produce those just for the fun of it. Just, just for, for the, the fun of it, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, I was I was doing a, a day job that had me fitting video systems in racing cars like up at Knock Hill over at Zanvor and yeah. contorting myself into these, you know, Porsches and things which have these roll cages and you're you're getting yourself in through the window, your legs up in the air, trying to get under the dashboard and <laughs> just starting to feel the aches and pains as you get older. And uh, thinking, you know, this is 11 o'clock at night, it's peeing down with rain, and um, there's got to be more to life than this. <laughs> and so my brain was in this sort of creative mode. And um, I was having a play with these these models and some silicon moulds that I was making. And then um, just on Instagram, I saw these chocolates made by this chocolatier over in um, New York. And they were shiny, they were colourful. Um, reminded me of Jacques Villeneuve's racing helmet with yeah. lots of purple, uh, pinks and greens and things like that. Um, and I didn't realise that chocolate could be so glossy and so colourful. Mm. Um, and it just got me thinking, oh, I wonder if anybody's ever made chocolate racing helmets. Yeah. Because that's just where my brain made that connection. Because I must um, confess, when I first came across your company, I looked, I thought, what a damn good idea. Yeah, we, we hear that a lot. And one of the other things we hear is um, they, they're too good to eat. Yeah. You know, which is disappointing because they taste great too. You know? <laughs> so people are missing out on a big factor of the, um, you know, big part of the enjoyment. Um, but yeah, it turned out nobody was, was making chocolate racing helmets, um, you know, which is basically. Well, I suppose you could turn around and say it's not used as a chocolate fire garden. Yeah, chocolate teapot, <laughs> things like that. Um, so I started playing around with my chocolate mold, um, made some solid chocolate racing helmets, and then uh, bought some colored cocoa butter, used a paintbrush, painted some um, Ayrton Senna mm. sort of lines inside, 
um, poured some yellow cocoa butter inside, made it chocolate, got it out, went, mm, okay, it looks all right. You yeah. know, it, it, it didn't wow me, but it looked all right. Um, and I conclude putting in it was that the wife and family etc who were saying well that's alright and no that's not alright yeah I th- I th- at that point it was just a minor part of what I was up to at that time yeah. so they they didn't really get phased by it whatsoever um, but as we delved deeper and deeper into how much money I was spending on the chocolate aspects of what I started doing um, then alarm bells started ringing in the family <laughs> household really because I committed myself I said this is a good idea I think it's got legs yeah um, in the motorsport hospitality industry because you know working in motorsport for a long time I'd been in a lot of hospitality and um, situations where people are giving gifting yeah. you know you get your baseball cap you get your lanyard you get your t-shirt and and things like that and there are other aspects of gifting which include bottles of wine, bottles of champagne, yeah. boxes of chocolates. and Where the team will put their branding on it a lot of the time. I've seen bottles absolutely. of wine that have the F1 team, the, the label, whoever's produced it. it, it's got an F1 team's label on it. Yeah, as soon as it's got um, branding on it, it becomes tied in with whatever's going on with the team at that moment, yeah. with their on-track action. Um, and what they like to do is try and... Um, create more of a connection between their on-track activity. So I knew if we could decorate some of these helmets like um, contemporary F1 driver helmets, then there was a great opportunity to do motorsport corporate gifting um, and hospitality. So I went down this route of experimentation. I put myself on a week-long chocolatiers course at Calabout Chocolate Academy in Banbury, um, which was basically titled um, how to start a business selling chocolate. Yeah. That, that was the, the, the premise of the course. It was five days and you know, it doesn't five, seem very long. Days. It it doesn't and it was in the height of summer and it was really, really hot. Which <laughs> <laughs> is not a great time to be working with chocolate in it, it it you know, I mean as we sit here it's we're in a bit of a hot spell mm. and we've got some air conditioning issues at the minute and chocolate and warm conditions don't really go together. Um, but yeah, we, I, I put myself on a week-long course primarily to find somebody in that class to make the chocolates for me. Yeah. You know, I had this great idea, I had no skills in making chocolate. Mm. So I'd gotten to the point where I'd commissioned to have some custom moulds made, I'd built a website which had a, um, you know, a, a sales, an online store mm. function, I'd created a business study and um, got business cards made up. I had clear ideas of what it, what the product was, who the customer was, mm. how I was going to actually make some money. I just needed the skills to actually make it. Yeah. Um, so I went there to learn more and to find the right people. And turned out nobody else in that room had done as much preparation or had as clear a, an idea of what they were planning to do mm. as me. Right. So I just came to the conclusion. No, all right, well, I'm probably as good as anybody else in this room, um, so I'll just do it myself. Um, and this, said, I conclude, where everybody else was going to make chocolates, you had a very specific product, motorsport-based product in mind. Absolutely. I mean, one of the people, um, this, this lovely girl called Katie, you know, she went with the premise of being the chocolate brand of Norfolk, you yeah. know, which sounds interesting, but... 
who are your customers? Are your customers people in Norfolk? Are they people outside of Norfolk who aspire to live in Norfolk? Yeah. You know, is it a souvenir of Norfolk? Is it a souvenir <laughs> of Norfolk? You got it. So there's a lot of questions that are stimulated by that. But if you come up and say, I'm doing chocolate racing helmets for fans and businesses involved in motorsport, um, it, there's a lot less questions involved. Yeah. In um, well, you've narrowed it down, haven't you? You have. You've you filtered down who your customers are yeah. and what the usage of your product or is. Or as, as they call it in marketing, USP, unique USP. selling point. Exactly. Um, so after doing the course, I knuckled down, continued with my experimentation and listed the product for sale on the website and reached out to a few contacts I had in the motorsport industry. And within a few months, so to put this into perspective, um, I started all of this experimentation around June, July time yeah. of, oh, now I'm thinking, must have been 2017, yeah. 2018 maybe, one of them. If I check on my phone, I'll mm. know precisely, but it was around that time. Um, and in September, October time, I'd got my moulds, I had a clear idea of what I was going to do. And throughout the course, they told me, if you're going to commit to doing it, put a real effort into having a good Christmas. Yeah. Because Christmas is when a chocolatier will make 60 to 70% of your annual turnover. Yeah. So it was getting close to Christmas and I thought, no, I need to bin off my regular motorsport electronics job yeah. and commit to doing this. If I've already put quite a bit of money and resources into it, I've got to commit to it now. And then I got corporate gifting um, Christmas for Pirelli. Hmm. I got corporate gifting for a, um, a motorsport fireproof underwear brand called Wallero or Wallaroo. Yeah. I can't remember how it's pronounced. It's one or the other. From my days, it's all changed. I mean, when I did it, it was Sabelt, Spike, or Momo, or OMP, and that we hear a lot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely moved along. Um, I think these guys, I mean, you can see down there, obviously, this is a podcast, so you can't see if you're listening, <laughs> but there's the brand of the It's like the famous snooker one for those watching in black and white, the blues next to the pink. <laughs> Um, but you know I, I got these various customers um, came and placed volume orders yeah. um, at a time when that's what I needed yeah. you know to prove that my risk was going to pay off yeah. another customer who came on board was um, Mark Blundell who owns a driver management company called MB Partners and yeah. in recent times has started a British touring car team called MB Motorsport yeah um, and you know, I used the momentum that was created during that Christmas corporate gifting period to really propel as the next year came about. And then we had Easter. I didn't actually that first year make many Easter eggs. Yeah, I was too busy making chocolate racing helmets. But then you go on, you go through another Easter period, uh, sorry, Christmas period, and then the following Easter, I made Easter eggs. Yeah. And these Easter eggs were themed around. Um, motorsport teams and drivers it wasn't replicating racing helmets yeah and then this Easter just gone we actually do have a chocolate racing helmet um, which is East like an Easter egg it's hollow inside um, but it's shaped like a racing helmet so we decorated them yeah like racing helmets and all of a sudden we've got a thriving business that is mostly dedicated to motorsport fans and motorsport companies um, and it's going really, really well. I mean, that's the business from where it started to where it is in yeah. in, in just a few minutes. I'm sure we need to talk 
more about it for the length of this podcast. Um, but hopefully it gives you a little overview. I mean, one of the things is, I mean, you've just kind of presented me with a little tray of uh, chocolate helmets. Mm. Um, and there are two designs here. Yes. And they look like the driver's helmets. I mean, we've got <coughs> Lando Norris and... Is it Mr. Verstappen's? No, it's not. It's Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel the Ricciardo. two drivers for McLaren. And <coughs> they look like the helmets. They do. They do. And, you know, a lot of the reason why they look like the helmets is the attention to detail that we strive for in the work that we do and the ability to distill some pretty complex designs down into their basic elements. Yeah. Um, because, you know, these are very small chocolates and a lot of the decorative elements are done inside the mould so you don't have a lot of freedom of movement um, and then you're producing large numbers so you need to be sure that the work that you do can be done quickly yeah. to ensure that that product is profitable you know there is an upper limit to what people will pay for this product yeah so in order to make the business profitable or at least sustainable even if you're not profitable and the fact that your wife would like to see wages i mean <laughs> she'd love it if i came home with a, a a positive pay packet at the uh, at the end of the month unfortunately anything that does end up in the positive gets funneled straight back into the business so that we can you know put it on a on a firmer footing going forwards yeah um but you know the fact that a lot of helmet designs these days can be distilled down into simple elements yeah helps us greatly um there are designs that we have to avoid um because they're too complex yeah. simple as that we don't tend to do a lot of moto gp helmets um not because that market isn't willing to spend the money mm. but because a lot of the designs in that industry are very complicated we can't distill it down to the, its raw elements because it doesn't really have a raw element yeah um, and I mean, we you, you look at a, cra a real crash helmet. Yeah. And um, by yeah. the time, I mean, just take a British touring car helmet. By the time they finished, these helmets stand the driver or stand somebody after they've been painted at five, six, seven thousand pounds a time because of the the airbrushing, the designs, and everything else. A crash helmet, a top end professional crash helmet, is an expensive piece of kit. And replicating it in chocolate might not cost as much, but it's just as complicated. Absolutely it is. The number of steps that we have to do on certain designs is, is quite staggering. For example, um, we have just done some um, Alex Albon designs yeah. for the Albon family. Um, so I was, you know, his, his mum popped in last week to collect the chocolates. And in terms of pure decoration alone, um, we counted the other day, it was 17 processes. Now that's 17 times that one person has to move with clean fingers a yeah. chocolate into the spray just, food. Just, just going on, these helmets are decorated by hand, aren't they? Oh, all by hand, yeah. yes. So There's, they don't pop out of a machine, no, done. No, it, I wish I could invent a machine that would do it because I'm sure I'd be able to make this business a lot more profitable. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, no, it's all done by hand, either um, using paintbrush or a stencil and airbrush combination and these album ones you know so you've already applied any stickers you need to to the mold applied any paintwork that you need to inside the mold using colored cocoa butter 
because um, proper paint wouldn't wouldn't mm. taste very nice. And just putting in, this is an eight scale. This, <laughs> this is, is a tiny scale, little thing. Is, yeah, it's the size of a regular truffle or Quality Street or you know a yeah. rose, something like that. Cadbury's cream egg is a bit smaller than that. Yeah, we're well, um, all right. Your Cadbury's cream eggs are catching you up quite nicely, aren't they? <laughs> they are shrinking in size <laughs> these days. Um, and then you've done all of your preparation work. Then you've poured chocolate in and then poured the chocolate out again to create a shell, a cavity that you can then pour your mm. filling in. You put your filling in, then you cap it to seal that filling inside the chocolate, then you remove the chocolate from the mold. From that step on, anything that you do, we call detailing. So yeah. if you have to spray the visor to make that stand out on the helmet, if you have to apply logos or any little bits of detail, you know, on this particular helmet, um, it was 17 steps. So we had 17 different stencils, and one person was moving the chocolate um, onto the spray booth. Yeah whilst the other person holding a stencil is getting really mucky, really dirty. <laughs> that person can't touch this, the chocolate. So it's a two-person process. Yeah. Um, and we had, I think it was 90 chocolates we need to do. And we probably spent about three days in total detailing these chocolates to ensure that they looked like the chocolate racing helmet. I've got one here again, podcast, apologies. Whilst I just reach over and grab one of these chocolates because I just saw it out the corner of my eye. All right, so, so that's one of them. That's one of the chocolates. And the difficulty with Alex's helmet is he's got the tie flag across the top of his helmet. Yeah. Um, and that, for the listeners, in has um, it goes red, white, blue, white, red as five vertical stripes on the flag. Yeah. And to spray that using a um, an, an airbrush is extremely difficult. Yeah. yeah, it's an extremely difficult design to pull off. Then it's like I said, it's difficult to do, apart from the absolute maestros at it. But it's it's a highly skilled job on a full size crash helmet. Yeah, I mean, if the, the, if it was this just is a, an eighth of the size. If it was just a sticker, yeah, to be applied on the outside of a helmet, then you print off a sticker, you'd apply the sticker, yeah. and away you go. Yeah. But to actually um, have a straight line. That's nicely, clearly defined, and you know the the distance between each line is um, not <laughs> is nice and even, and things like that. You know, it it's a very complicated thing to do. Well, you add into that a fact that there's also like there's the ghosted bowl of yep red red bowls there. Absolutely. So Absolutely, besides yeah. all these own colours. You've got the team's logo to put on to You it. do, and you've got the Williams logo on the very front under the visor. You've got the visor itself you need to spray, and on the back you've got the tie symbol for the number 23. Yeah. And then you've got all these zip lines that I, you know, we had to do around the front. This section here, um, which looks blue with the Red Bull logo on the front, we actually had to spray that blue yeah. because these circles were continuous, and we had to cover them with blue again. So... Then we've got these little paint strips down the side. You know, there, there was just a lot going on. Um, <laughs> then when you get to the inside of the chocolate, we actually made a mint aero filling yeah. for the inside of this. So that entailed us mixing mint extract, green colored cocoa butter, and um, white chocolate together, yeah. putting them inside a cream dispenser, charging it up with nitrous oxide, mm. and then depositing that inside the cavity. So you've got this nice aerated minty chocolatey <laughs> filling that's green in colour you know and when you consider all of these steps that we've undertaken just to produce these 90 chocolates you know it's 
it's a labour of love. You know, we wanted the best product. Well, I mean, I'm not being funny. Produce. At the end of the day, you'll pick that up and pop it in your mouth in one go, won't you? It's, I mean... You, most people who eat them won't have a single I, thought in I, caution as to what's gone into it. If every single person who was gifted or purchased some of our chocolates were happy enough to immediately pick it up and put it in their mouth, I'd be happy. Yeah. But the number of times we hear people saying, I'm going to put it on my shelf, it's too good to eat. Yeah. It depresses us because they <laughs> taste so good. And yes, they are edible pieces of art, and you know a lot of time, effort, and love has gone into their production. But at the end of the day, it is chocolate. It needs to be eaten. Yeah. You know, the good thing about um, chocolate, such as this Alex Albon design, is it can be a platform for us to gain a lot more awareness of what we're up to. Well, I should imagine. I mean, the favourite thing is going to be is. I mean, when I take these home, mm. somebody will come round and say, I'll say, do you want a chocolate crash helmet? Where did you get those from? Now, okay, it'll be <coughs> a friend of mine talking to me, but one team, somebody from, I mean, all teams intermix because they all want to know what each one's up to. Well, of course, they want a competitive advantage. So one team member is going to come into another team member and they might not ask, but they'll go back and say, they've got bloody chocolate crash helmets in there. Where did they get them from? Yeah, it's it, it's proven to be a very viral product. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if we supply one sponsor of the McLaren team, for example, you know, we we nowadays are doing a lot with various McLaren sponsors. Yeah. Because we started off doing one sponsor for McLaren and then the marketing and sponsorship activation teams see that one product and say wow, people were responding very positively towards that particular... Yeah. You know, it might have been a very low-cost, low-key part of the sponsorship activation where you're getting branded baseball caps and T-shirts and things like that. But those things, you know, they're almost expected. Yeah. Whereas something like this has got that wow factor. It triggers a number of emotional responses. You've got the look of them, the smell of them, the taste of them. Um, and any emotional connection you have to the subject matter, you know, yeah. if if it's a Lando Norris racing helmet, you know, it might be that you hearken to the enjoyment you have of watching Lando, um, you know, race online yeah. on his sim racing stuff. Or um, if you're a fan of Daniel Ricciardo, you could think about his Monza victory where he was doing the shoey yeah. on the podium and 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 things like that. So all of a sudden you've got this additional emotional connection that you just don't have if you buy a box of Thorntons where you're just enjoying it based on the taste. Yeah. You know. Now, you're also expanding because besides these rather nice little helmets, you're mm. now doing a, a bigger one. We are, we are. So this was stimulated by um, our desire to do Easter egg products. Mm. And as I say, Last year we did Easter eggs. Um, a lot of the eggs that we created were for corporate clients, yeah. um, so they were branded with lo um, company logos. But we also did a bunch themed on various Formula One teams, uh, drivers and, and things like that. And there was a great response. Um, but people were asking, why don't you do a chocolate racing helmet mm. that's like an Easter egg, so hollow inside? Yeah. Um, so it's taken us this long to managed to cover the costs of the tooling, the packaging, and get the product pitch correct. But we're finally there. We've managed to launch this product, and it's going to propel us even further mm. because there's a lot of new opportunities that maybe people purchased our, our ch small chocolate racing helmets in the past. Well, now they can purchase the small helmets and the large helmets and activate in a very different way. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm fully expecting that next Easter is going to be extremely busy for us on the um, half-scale chocolate racing helmet side. Uh, we've also got these chocolate bars, which we call Apex bars, which have a profile of a corner um, embedded into the mould. And this is our primary product for Christmas activation because um, it, its price point is very good for stocking fillers. Yep. You know, it's <coughs> a few quid. Um, which a box of our chocolate racing helmets, you know, it's it's seventeen pound fifty. Yeah. So that's more of a gifted product, whereas a um, and the bulk of that comes into the our labour intensive it is to make them. I mean, that's a that's a big aspect of of the price point. Um, we also use high quality ingredients from a Belgium chocolate manufacturer called Calabout, um, which, as I say, that's where I trained. They've got a a chocolate production facility over in Banbury um, and we don't skimp out on the packaging of our products either we use nicely weighted um, thick textured boxes because we recognize that a lot of our product is gifted yeah so it needs to um, look as good on the outside as it needs to look on the inside and again it comes down to it being a, a, a passion project for us you know we want to ensure that at every step of the way people are um, enjoying the experience and, and are enthusiastic about it. Now, apart from the Apex bars, I mean, you can't just go into go into a, a confectionery shop or a chocolate shop and buy these. I mean, because you're, there's you and two other people. Yes. Uh, you don't. You're, you're not a factory. You don't produce them in vast quantity. Uh, I wish we could. You know, if the demand is always higher than our ability to produce, we yeah. are production limited. Um, so a lot of times um, at Easter and at Christmas we have to close the order book yeah. because we're oversubscribed with, with orders. Um, the challenge that we always face is getting people in to help us produce because the profit margin on the product is quite low because yeah. the um, time that it takes to build the product is, is very high. So we'll, we can only accommodate two to three, maybe a maximum of four members of staff at this time. Um, and as soon as you get four members of staff in the workshop, then you run out of the equipment that they can use. There's only one spray booth. You need to have a spray booth that extracts the colored cocoa butter from the air, because yeah. otherwise the environment becomes um, super, um, it, the cocoa butter is a fat. Yeah. So if the fat lands on your finished product, it the finished product ends up looking dusty. Yeah. Simple as that. Um, so there are other limiting factors and as the company grows we expand our equipment and our team and you know we're growing organically simple yeah. as that um, we're very production limited yeah and it's proving it to be a challenge we're not a massive factory um, we don't use a lot of mechanization um, the only machines we really have we've got uh, what's called a panner, which tumbles chocolate. We're not using it a lot at the minute, but it's how you end up with a chocolate-coated raisin, for example, oh, or yeah. a peanut. So you put the peanut in, you tumble it. It's like a cement mixer. Yeah. Um, it tumbles <laughs> it, then you pipe chocolate in, and as the um, peanut revolves around inside the chocolate, it gets a thin coat. You put yeah. more chocolate in, it gets a thicker coat, and you build it up like that. So we were using that um, for a product we launched last year, which we called Marbles. Mm. Um, which marbles is the term used for the discarded rubber and bits of gravel and things like that which sit off the racing line um, and so we created chocolate balls chocolate coated um, uh, Fisalis and um, 
caramel balls of biscuit and, and, and things like this, which um, unfortunately the, the time and effort it took us to produce that meant that the price point was too high that yeah. the market couldn't accept it. So we're revising that product at the minute, um, but we've got that machine. We've got a bunch of machines which are used to prepare the chocolate so that it can be used. Um, it's called tempering, where you're aligning the crystal structure of the product, similar to the difference between coal and diamond. Yeah, you know, it contains the same carbon, mm. um, but the structure is different. And with chocolate. If you have untempered chocolate, it immediately melts, it bends, it um, isn't shiny. Mm. This is all stuff that you don't really want. Um, if you temper chocolate, it ends up shiny, it has a nice snap when you bend it, yeah. and you can handle it without it melting immediately in your hands. Um, and we have a bunch of machines which do that for us because all of our time is spent upstairs in the spray room decorating. When I used to, <laughs> when the business was based in my garage and I had to temper everything by hand, yeah. you just spent you know half a day decorating the molds, and then you got to spend the next half a day tempering your chocolate. And then yeah. by the time you're ready to fill your your mold with chocolate, the wife's calling you in because you've got to put your kid in the bath. You know, yeah. so um, it was a bit of a production backlog. Mm. Uh, it made sense at that time to buy these um, tempering machines. Unfortunately, they give off a lot of heat. Yeah. So then in my garage, I then need to get air conditioning, which, you know, you spend electricity to cool the environment down um, because you're you're melting the chocolate. Yeah. And so you're, you're doubling up your electric bill yeah. and you've purchased a new piece of equipment. So the, that's where the profit goes then. <laughs> so then you move into a new unit which has built-in air conditioning and you know things like that and all of a sudden your air conditioning fails. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one headache after another. But it's it's, it's going well. Um, getting a, a bigger facility um, isn't on the roadmap right now because we're not utilizing all the equipment that we have. Yeah. You know, we don't have the panel running at the minute because we don't have the product that mm. requires that. We've also got a conveyor belt that you can create a waterfall of chocolate. Yeah. So if we made some squares of caramel, mm. for example, you would lay all the caramel squares on the conveyor belt, then it goes under the curtain of chocolate and you end up with covered caramel. Yeah. And as a final step, you can lay a, a sheet of acetate with printed colored cocoa butter on it, and you can end up applying um, company brand names or decorative elements and things like that yeah. to those. Um, and that's a new product that we're looking to develop in the in time, you know? And so these are the things that are on the roadmap going forward. Um, yeah, it's exciting because, you know, you'd think that creating a niche product for a niche market, mm. you know, a motorsport themed product for a motorsport fan base, you, you tap that market quite quickly yeah. but it turns out no there's there's just a constant appetite for our products yeah you know which is fantastic because it's edible and therefore it's consumable and therefore if that person's satisfied with what they've purchased there's mm. no barrier for them to continue to purchase yeah so works really well so i mean in many ways it's like you said it's a unique thing until until you can go mass produce, they are still. That's the other thing about them. They're quite exclusive, aren't they? They are. Um, max, mass production of this product is going to be difficult um, because there's a lot of variability over time. For example, um, Daniel Ricardo he changes his racing helmet mm. every year. Yeah. Um, there's also another factor of um, the legal aspects. You know, if you consider um, making a helmet which has a particular logo 
on it, such as a Red Bull logo, um, it might be that Red Bull want you to pay a license fee for use of that logo. Yep. So you wouldn't go and commit to mass production of molds which are pre-decorated with the Red Bull logo in the 20,000s unless you've already ensured that yep. you're legally protected before doing that. So I don't think that this product will ever be mass produced. Um, I'm sure if somebody like Cadbury or Nestle came on, I'm sure you know, they might have an idea of how to achieve that. Yeah. Um, but equally, they've got a lot more experience than we do. You know, I've got a lot of experience with fixing data loggers into Porsches. <laughs> you know, I don't think Cadbury's have that experience. You know, we've had different lives. Um, but again, if you look at Formula One as an entity, there's now Formula One perfumes. Yeah. There's Formula One authentics, which is the memorabilia mm -hmm. aspect. There's Formula One experiences. Formula One are buying out um, suppliers of items and rebranding them with their logos. There's no reason why racing chocks can't become F1 chocks. You know, it just needs a dialogue and an agreement and a framework to be put in place. Yep. And then all of a sudden, at a racetrack, you can buy a box of our racing chocks as a fan at the track. You know, if you're in Singapore, then it would have to be in an air-conditioned <laughs> van, um, and you probably wouldn't want to take them too far out of that van in order to consume them. But equally, consider Silverstone. There's no reason why we couldn't purchase an ice cream van yeah. and start making luxury chocolate ice creams with a chocolate racing helmet instead of a flake on yeah. the top to the fans of motorsport. You know, we'd go all, we'd love that. Um, but there's an impediment, there's a barrier, and that is the price point to reach those people. You'd have to buy a pitch during the uh, Grand Prix weekend, which probably sets you back £6,000, <laughs> and then you'd need to be able to sell enough product to recoup that cost. And make a wage. <laughs> and unfortunately, to produce 6,000 chocolate racing helmets takes us quite a long time. <laughs> so we'd, we wouldn't be able to take on any other work yeah. whilst we were preparing that yeah. bulk of product. So there's this production impediment. So If yeah. somebody wants to find out about racing chocks, how do they do it? I think the best way to find out what we're up to is to actually look on our social media channels which are extremely active especially on Instagram yeah um, if you search for the account at racing chocks um, then you will find us on Instagram Facebook Twitter or even TikTok. we've yeah. started making videos on TikTok as well um, or you can visit the website which is www.racingchocks.com Matthew Polt Thank you very much for joining me on the Backseat Drive Radio Show. And thank you for my little tray of racing helmets. You're extremely welcome. Thank you for taking the time to come and visit the Chocolate Workshop. beaten on price, never beaten on service. Whether it's cars, bikes or commercials, Hoddy Tyres are the best in the business. And when it comes to tyre expertise and advice to supplying the correct tyres for your vehicle specific requirements, nobody comes close to David Lakin and the Hoddy Tyres team. So give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytyres.co.uk.